0: This evening, I'd like to look with you at Acts Chapter Eight, Acts Chapter Eight, twenty six through forty. While well, you're turning there, I, I do have. Coloring pages. I forgot this morning's one. Here's this morning's one, and then here's this evening's one. Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. This is the word of our God. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying... Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Then the spirit, of, uh, the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch Answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azatus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Father, we do ask your blessing upon this, your word. We ask it this evening that we uh, might receive uh, from your word uh, a greater grasp. Of what you offer us in preaching and we pray father that we would lay hold of your ordinary means of grace even in this hour laying hold of what we have read and laying hold of the sermon itself for the glory of christ in us we pray in jesus name amen as we uh think about the the means of grace last week we talked about the reading of the word especially, and I wanted to make sure we took time on that uh, because uh, reading question 89 as we did, you you may notice that um, it's the reading, but especially the preaching of the word. And it's possible that a preacher might emphasize that second part and forget about the importance of reading the word as a means of grace. And so I wanted to give it that whole week to itself. And we did that last week. A very important means of God's grace. You reading the word and listening to it read in worship uh, by others uh, in the worship service. Um, And there's a lot of overlap with what I tried to focus on. The practical things, especially last week. uh, The diligence, the preparation, the prayer, and the laying it up and practicing it in our lives. All of that that was said last week. It's you're intelligent people. You can extrapolate the slight distinctions in applying those thoughts to preaching. And so I don't want to just redo all of that again. We thought about being diligent with reading the word. Be diligent when you hear the word, right? It's, you can do that. What I want to focus on this evening is what might feel a little bit controversial wording there in the Shorter Catechism when it gives priority to preaching over reading. Did you notice that in what we we read together earlier, that it's not only the reading, but especially the preaching of the word. It's giving it a primary place. The main way that God convicts and converts sinners and builds them up in holiness and love through faith unto salvation is through preaching. And uh, that, I think, we need to slow down and think about. Think about, is that accurate? And if it's accurate, why is it accurate? Or how can we defend such a thought biblically over the idea of me sitting down with my Bible and Jesus and reading? So that's where I want to give our main focus this evening. I think the, the very way we view preaching in our culture... And our culture, I don't mean the pagan world we live in. I mean the church culture in evangelicalism in America um, views preaching uh, with suspicion, doesn't it? Uh, And that can be for a number of reasons. Uh, You know, there are a lot of really lousy preachers out there. There are a lot of liberal preachers out there who have all sorts of different agendas that aren't the Bible. Uh, There are all sorts of conservative preachers out there that have their own agendas, politically conservative preachers out there who aren't necessarily biblically conservative. They're not any more interested in the Bible. So there's a lot of lousy preaching out there in uh, the evangelical culture of today. Uh, But I think the biggest thing that causes us to view preaching with suspicion is the hypocrisy we hear about. There's a preacher and he preaches for all these years and then you find out he was sleeping around the whole time. Right. Isn't that the number one thing that makes us think, uh, well, can I really trust preaching uh, to be uh, sincere and and real? Right. There's hypocrites out there. There's the preacher who who made a big deal out of something for years. And then you find out uh, that they have now recanted everything. And these things are happening all the time in our day and age in evangelicalism. And so we, I think, have a lot of suspicion over the Bible. But along with that, there's something else we bring to thinking about reading versus preaching of the word. And that is, we we have a tendency, and I'll hear this a lot about preaching, that preaching isn't inspired, but the Bible is. Which is true, right? The, the statement itself is true. Preaching isn't inspired, but the Bible is is um but the, the, the thing that is often meant when we say something like that is is that therefore I'm safer reading the bible apart from preaching because the Bible's inspired and preaching's not. I hope you see the fallacy there. The Bible's inspired but your interpretation of the Bible is not inspired, right? So, so my preaching isn't inspired, but your reading isn't inspired. The word is inspired and insofar as you are reading it faithfully and understanding it accurately, then you must receive what you're, you're reading and apply it. Uh, um, but the same can be said of preaching, can't it? Insofar as the pastor is preaching faithfully and preaching accurately, then you have the same responsibility to apply it. So, so to, to say, you know, the Bible's inspired, the preacher's not, it forgets that you're not. And so your reading isn't any more inspired than the pastor's sermon, which then raises this question, uh, which is more trustworthy? Uh, there are a lot of factors involved in that, right? If, if you have a pastor whom you can't, preaching mostly to my own congregation here, but uh, if, you have a, if you have a pastor who doesn't love the Lord, who shows signs that he doesn't care about the word of God or honor it, and isn't preaching faithfully, then you need to think about replacing your pastor, not just ignoring the sermons. That, that should be a, a simple conclusion to draw. I don't know if we do. We we like people, and we don't want to be mean, and so sometimes we hold on to someone who's who's doing a bad job. I think it would be fair to, to say that you ought to trust his preaching with wisdom, like the Bereans. Remember the Bereans in Acts? They heard Paul, and then they went and they looked at the Old Testament. And then they said, okay, it matches up. What he said, we can't disprove it. So then, uh, much like the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1, therefore they received the preaching as the very word of God. It's a powerful statement in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That having uh, received the preaching of the word... And done the Berean thing. Examine the scriptures. They received the preaching itself as if the very word of God. And I, I think I think we need to have closer to that view, closer to that view. Uh, not in the sense of thinking that your pastor can never make a mistake, but in terms of reali- realizing um, that he is called by God to proclaim the word, and hopefully trained to proclaim. I think that's the other factor we sometimes forget. Me reading, less suspicion. Him preaching, more suspicion. I, I think of that story, I think it's a Kevin DeYoung uh, story he shares in one of his books about a, a world famous, it's either a philosopher or a physicist or someone who's giving a talk at a university. and uh, And one of the freshmen who's, you know, five credits into whatever the degree is, has taken, you know, the intro 101 class, uh, starts debating this world-famous uh, whoever uh, in the middle of this, this uh, lecture, and after a couple of responses back and forth, the, the person who's taken, you know, one class says, well, your guess is as good as mine, and the world-famous speaker responded, oh, no, no, no. My guess is much better than yours. Well, well, your preacher shouldn't have that kind of attitude, but maybe we ought to have a little bit of that attitude when we think about the difference between me reading and my pastor preaching. Because hopefully your pastor has several things you don't have. Um, least significant, but significant, is three years of training with Greek Hebrew, church history, theology, apologetics, uh, evangelism, homiletics, hermeneutics, all the different packaged things with preaching. And most of you don't have that, right? So, so that's, that's, we can say that's least significant, but it's significant nonetheless. Another thing that pastor has that should be perhaps very significant to us is that he has a call from God which has been acknowledged by the congregation. By vote of the congregation, when this person was called, you're saying we believe that God is calling this man to have this unique task of preaching the word to us. And so we we ought to take that uh, more seriously as well. Um, uh, But then another thing, he also has time during the week to read anything from three to... 10 commentaries and when i don't know about you when i do my personal devotions i don't read the same number of commentaries for my personal devotions every day that i read for every sermon that i preach right so so there are a lot of factors that should lend itself to us saying and these realize these are all just very ordinary outward things i'm saying right this is just practical stuff he has more time to study than you do and he has a degree in how to study. Uh, that doesn't make him right. But if he's a faithful preacher, he's a faithful man of God, then it ought to be a contributing factor to us in how we view preaching as a means of grace. But but now let's think a little bit about what the the scriptures say about preaching. And um, I, I just let me allude to two passages, and then I'll bring us into our main passage here this evening. Uh You could look up Acts chapter 17, verse 6, and there it is said that the apostles and the believers were turning the world upside down. It wasn't a compliment. This was was the pagan culture looking at the church and saying, they are turning our world upside down. They're ruining everything. And what was it that was going on that was turning the world upside down? It's pretty clear if you read the book of Acts It's the apostles were going around preaching Jesus. And there was a result in the society that turned the world upside down. Preaching the gospel at one point in history turned the world upside down. If it's not doing that today in our culture then the people to blame might be your pastor. It might also be the hearers. Right? Because what other thing contributed in the book of Acts. We keep hearing in the book of Acts they preached and then the people went out and lived this amazing way and people were astonished. So if the, the preaching of the word isn't flipping the world upside down on our culture, it says something maybe about the preacher, but maybe about the people listening or not listening. Uh, Romans 10 is also an important uh, section of of showing us how the Bible presents preaching. There in verses 6 through 13, the righteousness of faith uh, seeks nearness with God. Paul's talking about how how do you as a righteous person seek to be near to God? And he emphasizes that it is not by some out-of-body experience or mystic experience how will you be near to God? We read in verse 8, Romans 10, verse 8. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. What an astonishing passage there, because he could have ended with the Old Testament quote God and you can be near to each other when you read the Bible. But he says, and how do you find this nearness in the word? We preach it to you. Powerful thought about the importance of preaching for the Holy Spirit. Uh, but perhaps no text makes this point that, that we're talking about, this idea of the preaching of the word having kind of this primary place of being used by the Holy Spirit as a means of grace. Then Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40 and I was reflecting on that this week because I think so often when I hear this eunuch passage referenced, it's usually brought up in the context of, and this is both sides of the this debate, the baptism debate. What does this passage tell us about the baptism debate? And I'm not saying it shouldn't be a part of that discussion. It should. Any text that has... Baptism in it, anything that has any relevant uh, language in it ought to be a part of that discussion when that discussion is had. But I don't think it's fair to say that if you just read this story at face value, the most important thing being emphasized would be baptism. It's important, but it's not the most important thing being emphasized here. In fact, I, I think we need to realize... We have the word read, we have baptism, a sacrament, and we have preaching all in one passage. But the thing that has the primacy is actually preaching in this passage, if we just let the passage speak for itself. So as we look at this passage, we find in verse 28, this eunuch, uh, who is a very important person, um, he, he's the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia, uh, when you read there, Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, uh, I hadn't realized this, but, you know, Candace is uh, a a title, not a personal name. It's like saying the pharaoh. Uh, all of the queens of Ethiopia apparently were called Candace. I don't know why, but this, this one uh, had a eunuch, uh, a man who couldn't have entered into the, the synagogue and uh, been accepted as a member in the people of Israel because uh, he was a eunuch. He had had uh, castration take place and that's forbidden in Leviticus, which may, may raise this question is that what he's talking about when later he says, is there anything that could keep me back from baptism? Because in the synagogues, he would not have been allowed to receive even that, you know, baptism uh, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament was in the synagogues as a way to, you know, you're, you're a Gentile, you don't want to get circumcised, so you can't really become a member, but we want your money. So we'll make up an in-between thing. It's baptism. And you receive baptism and then you're kind of a lower class member of the synagogue who's not really a part of the synagogue. But a eunuch would not have been allowed to do that. So here's a man who is on the fringe of Jewish society. He took time and got permission to leave his important job and travel a great distance to come to Jerusalem for the feasts so he could worship God, but he wouldn't have been allowed to participate in the feasts. He would have had to stand on the outskirts for the feasts but he worshiped God while he was there. And while he was there he apparently got a hold of a scroll. He was an important man. He could buy a scroll. No one could do that. And he got the scroll of Isaiah. And here we find him riding home, reading. He's reading out loud and uh, God sends Philip in what must have been quite the miracle. Philip runs beside a chariot and has a conversation. That that's some good running right there uh, can you imagine being in the chariot i mean this really is we, we pass up the miracle that's going on here i think quite easily but here's this man in a chariot and all of a sudden here's this man running beside the chariot and, and not just running but saying hey um do you know what you're reading do you understand what's going on there <laughs> is it that would be a weird thing if someone pulled up to you at a a stop sign and or stoplight and you're next to each other and they asked you, do you do you understand that sermon you're listening to on the radio? But but this guy's running beside him and asks this question. It's amazing. Only the spirit could make this happen. In the same way that the spirit miraculously takes them away just like that at the end of the story and drops them somewhere else. Uh, this is amazing. But here's this man. He's reading the the scriptures. Do you understand what you're reading and what is the Ethiopian's response? If he was a modern evangelical, he would probably say, um, even if I don't, I mean, I'll figure it out or well, it means this to me, right? Uh, But we find this man saying, how can I, unless someone guides me? How can I wait a second? The reading of the word is an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and cover. He's reading the word. He doesn't need anything more than that, right? But he sees that he needs to be guided and directed. I was thinking of um, uh, some of you may be familiar with Jordan Peterson. The, uh, the I guess he's a celebrity now. He, he was a professor, but really he's a celebrity now. But he uh, has some really interesting things to listen to um, as, a, as an agnostic. Uh, but recently he started doing these classes on Genesis and Exodus. Except that he doesn't believe in the God of the Bible. Uh, so he does these classes on Genesis and Exodus. You can go find parts of them online. Uh, for free without having to pay for it. And uh, and it's all about the development of religion as a necessary uh, community construct, right? We need community. And so religion's important for community. But he, he has these long extended... he gets really in-depth into the text. And my thought this week, and my prayer as well, because I, I kind of like Peterson, despite the fact that he thinks he can teach on Genesis and Exodus without believing in God. Um, But my thought and my prayer for him this week was, if only he had the wisdom to see, he needs someone to guide him. How can he understand the text if he doesn't have someone to guide him? He's the blind leading a lot of blind, probably a lot of Christians, evangelicals listening to him too. He's likable in some ways. For some people. For other people, he's very unlikable. Anyway, uh, this eunuch understands something. He can't teach a class on Isaiah, even though he's a very educated man in terms of the the importance of people in his own day. He can't teach some random runner on the road about Isaiah. He needs to be guided himself and be taught. And notice the Holy Spirit's response to this man desiring to be guided Philip gets up in there and verse 35, beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. How will he be guided as he reads the word? He will be guided by preaching. I think that's a very powerful text, therefore, to argue that all of us, when we open the word, yes, it is a wonderful means of grace but we need that in the context of God's called servant guiding us through the preaching of the word. And the reality is this, the more good preaching you sit under, several things will be true. One, you'll spot bad preaching more effectively, won't you? You won't be misled by the lousy preachers or by your preacher when he's having an off week and says something that's wrong which happens, but also the more preaching you sit under, the more value you're going to get out of your own reading of the word throughout the week. Isn't that true? The older you get and the more you read the Bible, the more you understand. Why is it that you understand it more this time and not last time you read that same verse? Well, there could be a number of factors, but one of the primary ones is that the Holy Spirit instructs us through preaching every week. And even if it's not on that same verse, the Word of God is unified and the preaching of the Word is rich and the Holy Spirit opens our minds and eyes more and more to understand other parts of Scripture as well through the guiding of sound preaching. And so we need to have hearts to hear preaching. For, for my own sake, uh, this week I was trying to think of what are some things about Philip's preaching here. That can be a dangerous thing to uh, try to assess in a text that's as brief as this, because we don't get his sermon, do we? We just got that he preached, and then we got the outcome of it. Um, But I do think several things can be said. One, that passage of Isaiah, the suffering servant songs, Isaiah is one of Uh, the most brilliant theologians of the old Testament and Isaiah has a lot of deep theology and a lot of rabbit trails. You can go down with almost every chapter and the suffering servant songs have a lot of depth and a lot of rabbit trails. You could go down, but clearly on the road here, Philip didn't get caught up in those rabbit trails. He clearly kept his message to the central point point. He preached Jesus. And uh, that's, I think, an important thing to look for in preaching. An important caution for a pastor like me, a preacher like me, would be to ask, am I doing that? Uh, Not always. Sometimes I might need to repent after the fact of a sermon where I got distracted by any number of things. But for you, as the hearers, is the preaching typically focused on the main point and not constantly going down uh, personal tangents or rabbit trails. Uh, a- another thing I think we can say is that it must have been spoken plainly. That They didn't have three years for Philip to teach him everything he knew about Jesus. They They had how many hours if that we we don't know how long he was in the chariot i suppose it could have been a couple of days who knows um but here he clearly kept it uh, plain and clear to understand i was thinking about that in terms of peter's call that we ought to grow from the milk of the word to the meat and what a challenge then that gives to preaching because in a group like you you all need some meat Right? Just the simple meat of the milk of the word isn't enough because you all at varying places, and I don't know you all well enough to know exactly where, but you all have some level of knowledge already. So in a sermon, you need some meat. You need a little depth, but also to remember to not cut out the milk in the process, right? If you're only going to get a really, really deep sermon or a sermon that's Really simple, but faithful. Uh, the milk's probably the better one for you, although the ideal would be a nice blended meal. And so that's something you can pray for me about is simplicity and clarity, uh, that combination of depth and and milk as well. well, uh, i'll I'll leave it at at those reflections on on Philip, because anything else would be trying to stretch it too far. Uh, and then we have that wonderful reality about the preaching of Christ. And I think this is worth noting. This Ethiopian, as I've noted, would have always known he could not have a place in the synagogue religion. Always. But there was something about how Philip preached Jesus that raised a question in his mind. Did the restriction that held me out before get removed with Jesus. Now can I be baptized? There was something. Philip didn't directly address it because he had to be asked, right? But something about how he preached Jesus and preached the Old Testament made this man think, with the coming of someone who suffered like this, who suffered for me, can I now receive baptism and be a part of his people? And praise God, Philip was not caught up in his Jewish heritage. He said, yes, yes, if, then, and the man was baptized. Well, we uh, should take from all of this, again, to be readers of the word, but also hearers of it preached. And I think also, then, as we reflect on the importance of preaching, uh, especially through Philip here, we ought to pray that God would send preachers out into the field because there are a lot of lousy preachers there's a reason there's cynicism in a lot of minds and hearts and so we need to be praying that god would raise up better preachers and and improve the ones that we have let's pray